mean, party people. <laughs> All I can do is is visualize PJ being like, I know. let's go, party people. Let's go, party people. Yep. Welcome in, everyone, to the Sunday recap. So glad that you joined us today. I'm here with Ariel Eldridge and Mitch Green. Good morning, everybody. It's us. It's us. Is that a Comfort Colors tea? It is, but this is my, actually the first one I ever had. Didn't know I had it. That's from That's CIY. Amazing. Yeah, so it's got Luke, the CIY logo on it. Luke, uh, when they went to CIY a couple years ago, he gave me this shirt, and it's Comfort Colors, yeah. which, as you've heard on the podcast before, is my new favorite T-shirt. Brought to you by Comfort Colors, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> Just like a Hanes. <laughs> uh, better. No, that's cool. Right on. It's it's like a salmon color. I want to say, yeah. What do you think it's kind of it's faded, yeah, like uh -huh. faded but it kind of always was faded, yeah. but it looks more faded. But yeah, well, yeah. that's the beauty of comfort colors because they're just like a color that you know has it mm -hmm. looks like it used to be red, yeah. but now it's faded. So yeah. my wife, kudos to her, does she does all the laundry? We should just say that because uh, if I help, it's very little. But <laughs> um, all my shirts got folded, so I'm just going to kind of work through top to bottom, and this was on top. So, nice. Yeah. There you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very cool. Well, um, this week we're going to be working through um, uh, Ephesians chapter three, which is this is where uh, Scott preached on Sunday uh, in week three of the series, praying with Paul. Um, before we get to that, though, we do want to talk about our prayer event that's coming up. Um, Mitch, you would always you, do this. To me. I do. I'm going to throw it at you. What's going on with this prayer event? Yeah, on Sunday night. Sunday, Sunday night, six thirty p.m. Yeah, we're gathering at the church for prayer. Yes, um, we've got going to break up some prayer groups, have some different prayer elements. Really just praying for the needs within our congregation, um, praying for our community, praying for our world. Yeah. Um, so it'll be super cool. 6.30 here at the church. If you are a student, still come to church at 6. We're going to have some pizza for you there. And parents, if you don't want to like drop your kid off and come back, stick around with us at 6, and we'll have enough pizza for you too. So nice. if you have a high schooler, you can come at 6 o'clock. Nice. Very I cool. like that. You know what I really appreciate about this too is just the idea of praying for our world, and I think even praying for our leaders is in mm. is in this in this list of things to pray for. It makes me think of First Timothy chapter two, um, where we're, this is where Paul commands Timothy to to actually do this. He says he says first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, and then he specifies for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And I think this is this is a really challenging thing, especially when you don't like or agree with the the leaders that that that, that you have. And so it doesn't matter like what party you fall into and things like that. But I think we're all in a position that at some times where we don't agree with the leaders that we have in power, but we're called to pray. And mm -hmm. we're called to pray um, because God uses that to help us in that we're praying for this whole idea of having a peaceful and quiet life. And ultimately that that really is a change in us in, in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, with, with a lot of things, which is fascinating. But he says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Um, and I'm like, man, that's, that's actually really cool. Um, so I'm glad that we're going to be doing that on Sunday night. Well, guys, let's dig into Ephesians chapter 3. Um, primarily what I want to do here is dig into... Um, verses 14 through um, 14 through 19, but I think it bleeds over into 20 and 21 um, here as well. Um, maybe let's just kind of start with what is happening here in the context of Ephesians 3. Um, but before we read the passage, what's what's going on here in Ephesians? Um, 
right, this is right before we get to Ephesians 4 where there seems to be a shift in the letter a little bit. So explain to us what's happening here in the letter. In the letter. The whole letter. Yeah. Okay. Do you want us to back up He's to about like halfway through his quill and parchment. <laughs> <laughs> He's running out of ink. Yeah. He's gotta, He's, I got to hurry this up. The paper's yeah. a little folded because... <laughs> There's a smudge. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, No. So, so again, he's in the third part of, sorry, he's not in the third part of the letter. He's really in the first part of the letter. Let's start from the beginning of the, of the letter. In the beginning. You beat me to it by one second. (laughs) (laughs) Bible joke. Take us from the beginning. So from Genesis or from Ephesians? Ephesians. Yes. Okay, good. People who are just on the ends of their seats right now, at whatever stoplight they're at, they're supposed to go like their heads on the steering wheel. Oh, they're this is so, so far forward. This is so rough this morning, you guys. Oh, man. We'll get there. I think this letter is really amazing. It seems to be all about um, Paul talking to this Gentile church in Ephesus, he's um, he's talking to them about what they have in Christ, and um, mm-hmm. and he's building them up because um, uh, you know they may not feel like they're part of the family of God simply because they're they weren't born Jewish. Right. And so yeah. there's a lot of him um, encouraging them in Christ, and that it is because of Christ that they are now fellow heirs, and that they are part of this family. Um, but he spends a lot of time talking about the body of Christ and um, how it is is used for his glory. Mm-hmm. And um, in chapter three, especially, um, he he makes note that this is God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning for them to be fellow heirs. Yeah. And he talks about how um, that the mystery of of um, his redemption is, is being made known through the church now and mm-hmm. that they get yeah. to be part of it. Yeah. Um, Which I think is such an interesting thing. There's, I think there's a large section of the church today that, that kind of thinks that, you know, in the Old Testament, the people of God were only the Jews. Right. Right. And then yeah. New Testament, now it's open to the Gentiles and maybe the Jews are something different or, or something like that. And But I think what this is showing more, especially like at the beginning of chapter three, um, if verses one through, was that one through 13, he's really explaining this. He talks about this as a mystery, mm-hmm. how these people are, um, how the Gentile people are included into um into this family. Yeah. Um, and I, and, and I mean, you guys, we even see this in the old Testament happen over and over again. It's, it's really crazy. Like, I mean, what are some examples like Rahab, right? Rahab, Rahab is an example, one. Ruth. Um, those are, those are prime examples. The entire city of Nineveh. Yeah. Who are right. Yeah, <laughs> Including <exactly>. the animals. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is so, so crazy. I, I don't know about the animals. I don't yeah, know how, it, how to do that, but uh, <laughs> they, they were, they were saved for a time. I'm sure it's, Yeah. <laughs> They were yeah. saved until it was lunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but but this idea that there is this mystery about how yeah. God from the very beginning had a purpose. And he says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose. Um, this this purpose of that salvation is for the whole world. Yeah. He's, he's bringing people in from every tribe and tongue and nation. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this through his chosen people, through the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Jewish yeah. nation. But, um, uh, but how that all works together is the, is part of this, this mystery that yeah. he's explaining. Yeah. yeah. I, Ephesians. So I was downplaying it, but Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible. Oh. I, I knew that about yeah. you. Um, and I think that's why I was looking at yeah. you to answer. <laughs> yeah. it, it's my favorite book of the Bible. Um, we're actually working through Ephesians with our middle school students right now. Cool. Um, so we'll be, yeah. um, Ariel will actually be doing week two. Um, with our students this week, which is going to be awesome. Nice. But, um, 
Man, I think Ephesians is just one of the most masterful, well-written, you know, letters Paul wrote. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be one of my favorite writings Mm -hmm. ever. Um, There's just, there's just, as you guys have already kind of alluded to, there's so much going on here. um, And there's so many undertones that they would have understood um, being the church at Ephesus that um, we just kind of skim over. And they're still like incredibly cool to us, but they're even cooler when you understand like what's going on in the background. Mm -hmm. Um, And Scott kind of alluded to some of these things and um, in his sermon, but I I wonder like, you know, Paul spent um, two years, almost maybe three years with, with these people um, ministering to them in the city. And so I wonder because like he was closer to them, he was very close to them. Um, yeah. That he was able to kind of understand um, language, like in a way that it would speak directly to what's going on mm-hmm. um, in their church. And so, some of the things that you know we've alluded to, like he's talking about, you know, the Jew Gentile kind of divide that's there. Um, he talks a, a little bit about what seems to be addressing some things with some early Gnosticism mm-hmm. um, peeking its head in. Um, which those who don't know what that is, that's just the um, it's. In the ancient form, it's religious, but it's the idea of trying to achieve um, full knowledge, to mm-hmm. know all things, um, and and that knowledge brings salvation. Yeah, and yeah. so like just even think about the amount of times you see the word like "full" or the fullest form of a description show up in the prayer <laughs> that we looked at on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see a little bit of that. You do see um, kind of the religious background going on in Ephesus. Um, it was the primary worship center for the Greek goddess Artemis, Artemis um, yeah. that almost um, a large portion, I think there was like estimated like 40% of all the industries were built around just idol worship, idol to, worship. Artemis, to yeah. Artemis. Like, so the business it's, it's just infiltrated their society. Um, so you've, and then another side tone, um, a lot of historians have believed that the Christians in Ephesus were, um, they were lower class citizens mm-hmm. um, who likely came from families that were broken up. Um, so when you start seeing Paul get into this family language of adoption, fatherhood, um, and you start thinking of what that would mean to somebody that maybe was adopted <laughs> into mm-hmm. a family, mm-hmm. um, I just think there's there's so much rich language here that it's like you really can sit on just so many words of this passage, um, and and it will help illuminate for you what is Paul really talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think especially to this, this um, just the background that you said about just the love that he has for this church. Yeah. Um, when you read in Acts, how when Paul was going back to Jerusalem, he knew he was going to be imprisoned when he went back, but um, he met with the elders on his way back and, um, and the Ephesian church came around him and they said that they wept together as he left. And you can just see the, the love that, mm-hmm that they had for him and the love that Paul has for this church. And I I think it comes out um, in the letter as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so the two, two other small notes um, probably before we hop in here, but so um, again, one thing I always like to share with people is that, you know, the first Ephesians is broken up into two sections, the first three chapters and the last three. Yeah. Um, The first three are what's called the indicative. um, And then the last three, what's called the imperative. So So indicative meaning, yeah, so indicative meaning that um, this is what is true. Yeah. Maybe it's a simple way to explain Or like that. what God has yeah, done. Yeah, this is what God has done. This is what's happened. So kind of like if this, mm-hmm. then 
um, we do this, which is the imperative. So in response to that, this is what we do. Right. So it's broken up in those two sections. But what's really interesting in the first three chapters, Paul does not give a single command to them other than to remember. Um, that's the only command he gives is yeah. to tell them to remember what Christ has done. Um, and so I think that's foundational. The other thing, again, knowing the context of that they're facing as believers, um, we can understand that there's why Paul would be praying this prayer for them that Mm -hmm. we're going to look at Mm -hmm. because there's so many other voices that are speaking into them. So many other things that are infiltrating um, even the way they do Christianity, you know, there's not 2000 years of history to borrow from, like they're figuring this thing out. Mm -hmm. So there are, you know, other, other areas of society are starting to speak in to how they live um, and what's going on. And then Paul spends three chapters just saying, this is what Christ has done for you. And may you know the fullness of that. Yeah. Exactly. And he actually concludes then with this idea of this, um, the mystery of the Gentiles being included. Yeah. And then this, this section that we read on Sunday where he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. So he's writing, he's writing down what he has been praying mm-hmm. for this Ephesian church. So can we go ahead and read the passage? Um, Sure. Ariel, would you read that? Absolutely. Thank you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. What a... Preach. I know. It's what beautiful. a doxology at the end. Yeah. So verses verses twenty twenty one, we would call that a doxology because yeah. it's like a it's like a in praise. In the middle of the book. In the middle of the book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like this. I just gotta stop right here and just praise God. Yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah. yeah. So good. Um but what I think is fascinating is how much of that doxology reflects what he's been talking about yeah. in there as well. Ariel, you mentioned before we started recording too, this just in verse twenty one where he says, um, uh, to him be glory in the church. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like that. 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 The. The whole idea here is that the church itself would be a place of glory mm-hmm. for God. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. You know, so I, it's just um, really a fascinating thing. And, and I. Th- and I think the reason why I think it's important to bring that up is because this sets the context for what we're going to read. That. That a lot of what happens is what's happening in this. Um, this prayer that Paul has for them is. Uh, ecclesiological, like it's, it's about the church. It's about what happens, um, in the church. So yeah, if I could back up to chapter two at the end, um, in verse 15, he even says that, um, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, Mm -hmm. um, and, and then reconciling us both to God in one body through the Christ or through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's like, he's being glorified in the fact that he's taking crazy opposites and making them one together. Right. And this is how he starts this. He, in verse 14, he starts out with this phrase for this reason. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, whenever this is just a little 
hermeneutical note, this is, and as you're reading your Bible, things like that, whenever you see something like that for this reason, or therefore, or then, or some, you know, things, words like that, that are, they're, they're giving a reason for the, you know, it's basically implying that, that the reason for what he's about to say is in the verses above it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, go back and read it. Like go back and see why some people use the phrase, find out what the therefore is therefore, right? Like, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's an important um, thing for us just from a literary um, uh, perspective that we would just know how to read this rightly. Um, And so the key there is that it's, it's understanding that, that just what you're saying, the reason uh, that he's, going to say what he's about to say is because of this, this merging together of, of the Gentile and the Jew and what God has, what what God is doing there. Um, And so he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father with whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And you think about that, like, why does he use the term every family? Yeah. Well, it's because it is literally every family. Like, I mean, he, he's, he's, or not like, like everybody, like people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Gentiles are included in this. And his, his language choice there reflects the, the context, yeah. if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely kind of goes, it, it's, he's now bundling all the things he's talked about in the first three chapters. Yeah. Now he does, again, it's, it's important to note that if you read his prayer in chapter one, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. So he kind of like says, this is what he's going to, what he's praying for. Right. And then he lays it out and then he comes back to that prayer. Mm-hmm. Almost like as if he was praying this thing in front of you and be like, what is he talking about? And then he talks about it and then he prays it again. And you're like, okay, now I know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. But he really does kind of cover all aspects. So in the beginning of chapter two, he kind of talks about God rescuing um, kind of the individual, um, the grace that's been displayed for the person. And so yeah. in verse eight, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is chapter two, verse eight. Mm-hmm. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. So he kind of lays that out. And then he transitions, as you were saying, to talking about our oneness and our unity in Christ. Yeah. So then he says, um, kind of moves from talking about the individual. Um, you know, you can see like 2 verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, have been brought near to the blood of Christ. Yeah. And then you see, as he transitions on, he talks about the mystery of God, and he talks about what God did first with the Jews, and now what he's done with the Gentiles. Right. And so this is the background when you read, you know, a three-word phrase from every family, um, uh, from whom every family in heaven and earth has been named. Yeah. Um, that he has just literally laid out how God has presented himself um, for the individual collectively through the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's kind of this mending of the Gentile and this is the great mystery of God that he's now displayed for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask this with this idea of this inclusion of the Gentiles, um, that God really loves and cares for, uh, like all the peoples of the earth and he's gathering them together into his family. So as he's doing this, what are the implications of that in the way that we think about the church today? Mm-hmm. What, 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 what implications does that have for us as we're, I mean, as we're praying for the church, as we're living life together in community with the church, as we're even doing evangelism, what, what are the implications of all that for us? If I could go back to the Old Testament and think about the, the Abrahamic covenant, which God promised that, that the nation, his seed would be a blessing to the nations. Right. And so this is really a fulfillment of that, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's 
bringing blessing to the surrounding nations through the blood of Christ and now bringing them into the family of God. And I think that's what the church is commissioned with as well. That's good. Um, And so I think everything we do ends up being a blessing to the nations because of the blood of Christ. And so I think practically what that means and what you're asking is that our our body looks very different from each other. Like we have a a very good mix, or we should Mm -hmm. have a good mix of people um, people who you may, you know, have never thought you'd have anything in common with, um, coming together because of the grace that we've been given. That's right. Yeah. You, you said it, <laughs> I'm going to kind of repeat what you said in a little different form, but I think you said it way better than I'm probably going <laughs> to, but I, I just, even in our discussion here, I, I'm, I'm really thinking about for them, um, that, Paul is Paul is praying for them and he's encouraging them. He's telling them about the foundation of Christ and they're really establishing what does their new Christian community look like for the first time. Um, so they don't they don't have like bad history and things to go off of. They're trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian with a group of Christians in Ephesus gathering with Jesus as their foundation ignoring ignoring all the voices of the world. Ignoring actually could be good too. Ignoring Nero. That'd be kind of cool. (laughs) Made a new word. Uh, But that's what they're trying to do. And so when I think about your, your question, Chris, and I think about our context, um, I think when we become a Christian, we, we kind of work outwards where Paul kind of works the other way. (laughs) Like we begin and so we become a Christian and we're like, okay, I'm a part of my family who maybe they're already Christians like mom and dad. And then, you know, we've got this church that I'm a part of and I'm a, that's, that's, and we almost never get to like the grand mystery of what it means to be a part of the family of God. Um, the unity that's displayed through, we don't make it there because we've got like, we're not doing this thing for the first time. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like we've got 2000 years of good and bad experiences and what church can look like in America and what, what, you know, the practices that we do and, oh, you know, I know what it's like to get baptized at Stones Crossing Church and, you know, or if I go here, I know what confirmation looks like here and we do this this way and, and we, we've got all that where for them, for the first time, they're really like, we're, we're believing and trusting in Jesus. We're adopted in this family. How do we work this out together? Um, and I think it would be, it, it's be interesting for us to kind of think broader about yeah. what God has done for us um, and not think so narrow and specific. Yeah. Um, not just about the people around you, but this grand mystery that, you've been brought into by God. And um, things like that are hard to get a feel for when you're in um, you know, in a suburban hometown yeah. kind of thing. Cause because you sort of have to get outside Very those walls. Isn't yeah. It? In order to get a feel for that. And so like I know one of the first times that I really experienced that was when I went on a global mission trip. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in high school, uh, or it was like right after my senior year of high school, went down to Mexico. It wasn't very far from where we lived. We lived in LA, so it was like mm-hmm. a three-hour drive or whatever. We drive down there, um, help to build a house. But you get to meet some people down there who are who are Christians, and they worship in a, in a different way, in a different language, and all that stuff. And you're like... These are my brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah. you know, and I I felt the same thing. I've been down to Haiti a couple times now, and absolutely, and like same thing down in Haiti or El Salvador. Like you go down there and you're like, wow, like I don't have very much in common with their lifestyle, with the things they like, with you know things like that, what they do with their time, um, but 
we have the best thing in common. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying is like even in our discussion, I'm recognizing how maybe it's it, it's so much bigger than sometimes we realize. Mm. You know, like when I have conversations with students, they're like, you know, and they're they're you know experiencing God moving in their life, and they'll start talking about okay, I want to get baptized and like they like either really want to shoot the baptism video or they don't. And like baptism, I'm not saying like those are good things, Sure, but like they have one expression and experience that they're associating with like the thing Yeah, yeah, yeah. where yeah. there's this big grand mystery thing that has existed far beyond um, anything <laughs> we're even doing our walls that we get to be a part of. Yeah. But it's even more important that we're a part of that. Absolutely. You know, what's very convicting for me personally, and maybe it is for you too, that it's easier for me to embrace that um, people in Haiti or another country are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's harder to embrace other denominations or people just down the street. Yeah. You know, so who baptized oh, babies or, you I know, just, like we uh, just, we felt we, that right. Here. Yeah. Like, yeah oh. Dagger to the heart. <laughs> no, but so, so I was thinking about that, um, you know, and I don't want to bring up names, but there's, you know, there's been a, and again, it's like every church has a unique part of the kingdom, yeah. but there is a tendency sometimes for us, even in the church to kind of celebrate the things that we're doing <laughs> over the, everything that God's doing. So you oh, saw this yeah. in the nineties, like you would see churches say like, um, may, I don't want to throw a name out of a church, but like, there's, there's a lot of study on this, but it's like, they would be like, you know, this is God's plan for blank mm -hmm. that this would happen in our church. And this is what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. And like that stuff may be true and may be good, but there's a grander, bigger right. mystery that your things a blip on the map that you get to be a part of it, yeah. but you get to be a part of the bigger thing. It's not just about your your little thing. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> everybody wants. I mean, not everybody, but like there's a there was this thing about like creating a mega church and being yeah. popular and being an influencer and like all that sort of stuff that I think becomes attractive for pastors and people in positions of power and leadership to where it's like I can increase that power and I can increase that yeah. influence mm -hmm. and and you can try to justify it in some ways, but ultimately it ends up. Um, yeah. not really be, I mean, that's not really the job of a pastor. Yeah. The job of a pastor is to faithfully take care of the people. That well, God and that's like, yeah. You. And I'm saying that like, you know? as a challenge to us, I'm really just taking everybody through my self-reflection, but, you know, <laughs> but it's like, you know, the, yeah. the tendency is to go like, Oh, I want this student to experience God, get plugged in our group, reach more students, grow the group. Boom, 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 boom. Right. Where in reality, it's like, man, what if our first recognition was that we're welcomed into this grand mystery that's bigger than absolutely anything that we're even going to do in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to do that in a, in a, in a specific way yeah. that might help some people, but it's not going to be for everybody. And yeah. that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay. You know, I, and I, and I think that that message needs to be out there more for sure. Well, let's keep going in the passage just a little bit. Um, so he continues in verse 16. Uh, he's praying, right? What is he praying for? He prays that according to the riches of his glory, of God's glory, that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what he says. So what is this strengthening that he's praying for um, specifically? Like what, what exactly is he, is he getting to here? Because I mean, these are already Christians, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, he's kind of praying for something like Scott said, something that they already have. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so why 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 pray for it? I, I I'm going to take kind of two angles, and I think it's even broader than these. But I think these are two reasons that fit within the context of what he's praying for. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the first is um, that they're going to suffer for what they believe. Mm. Um, And so he is praying that they would be strengthened in their suffering, that they would hold fast to these truths that he's just shared with them about who God is, um, that they would hold to those things. Um, That's good. And I I think too, just as a side note, this is something that I think is a major theme in many of the epistles. We mm -hmm. see that all over the place in in all of the epistles. And so I think that's a a big part of what it means to be a Christian (laughs) or what what it should mean to be a Christian. So yeah, it's good. Yeah. And then, and then what's your second part? Yeah. And then the second part still is not as external as you may think. It is that they would, um, as they would be strengthened in their suffering, um, but they would continue to rely on God more and more um, in the knowledge of who he is, mm-hmm. that they would see he see God as their source of strengthening. As he transitions into the next chapter, he begins to talk about walking, um, work, walking in, in light of which you've been called. And mm-hmm. he's not talking about like, here's the list of other things you go do now. He's saying like, just live as if you believe these things are true. Right. Um, so I don't think Paul is um, ex- as concerned with giving them practical wisdom about the exact same thing they need to, the exact thing they need to go do here. Mm-hmm. He's concerned that God would be the foundation in which they go do all things. Yeah. Um, that they would rest in Christ. Um, that He would be the source of their strengthening, um, and that they would be able to hold fast to whatever may come their way. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Now, what's interesting is that the the very grounding of this ability to hold fast is based on what you talked about before. It, it's based on Christ. It's, it's based on the indicatives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the things that God has done for them. And he so he says um, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, right? And this is, uh, by the way... Uh, this word love is the word agape there. So this is the the love of God, rooted mm-hmm. and grounded in God's faithful, loyal love to you. Um, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm-hmm. And so his prayer really is that um, we wouldn't just... I mean, you could say it in the way of like, not just know about God, but know God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that the love of God is something that is so deeply rooted in your heart that you live from it every single day. Yeah. What, one of the things that I think that we're finding today is that um, there seems to be a polarization around those two ideas, like the idea of seeking the knowledge of God mm-hmm. and then seeking God himself could could we sort of unpack for a minute just the tension between those two things and how does the knowledge of God actually help us to to love God actually help to grow in knowledge or to grow in knowledge actually helps us to love God mm-hmm. himself and how do you move that from your head down to your heart yeah I actually don't see a tension between the two. I think that we put the tension there right because <laughs> I think what he's saying here is that you would dwell and be grounded in what you know about Christ to be true, because he just spent the first two chapters, two and a half chapters, telling them what that is and what Christ did. And now that they know that, they're grounded in it, and and that is what gives them the strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of it. And therefore, I let that um, tell everything that they do within the church and with the body and um, for the glory of Christ 
Um, And so, yeah, when you get to verse 19 where it says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, um, this may be a nod to Gnosticism, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That they don't need to seek a a higher knowledge. They have it. They have it. Um, And if they comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of it, then it will automatically fill them um, and let them be rooted and loved mm-hmm. um, to the fullness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think the tension that's displayed in the passage is the tension between um, knowledge of God, mm-hmm. um, experiencing God's love, and the tension of um, any sort of knowledge that comes outside of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the tension. Mm-hmm. The tension isn't knowing God and loving. Right. Um, that, that and, and I think, again, we are approaching it the same way that I think they were approaching it and why Paul's writing to them yeah. is because they're facing this society that's like, um, again, with the emphasis of Gnosticism and Hellenism and all these things where it's like they're trying to perfect all things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to know all things. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make the perfect human. They're trying yeah. to, you know, if you look at some of the different writings that are going around in culture, I mean, they are really... Um, there's these like writings for infants on like when your kid's born, like blowing both their ears, you know, squeeze their ears, slap them across the face, see how they respond. If they don't respond well, like you might want to put them up for adoption because they're not the perfect baby, mm. you know? And so there's this perfection. There's this trying to accomplish this upon yourself. You see it in scholasticism. You see it in the beginning of kind of, um, where rhetoric begins to become really popular, how people speak, what people talk about sure. philosophy. There's yeah. all these kind of, we are trying to like in our own power, have the knowledge of all things. Mm -hmm. And what Paul is saying is that having the knowledge of God, which is tied to the love of God, Mm -hmm. um, surpasses that knowledge. Absolutely. Because again, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but all knowledge, no matter what it is, I mean, really it comes from God. And so if we're seeking other knowledge as yeah. the as the, the the source of enlightenment, mm-hmm. then that's so backwards from what's what reality is. Yeah. Reality is no seek God, seek God first, and and He will give you what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to say He's being like playful, but He kind of is. Like when He throws out the mystery, He's like nobody. Like when He's talking about the mystery of God being the Jews to the Gentiles, right? He's like nobody knows this apart from God. And he says, why is it revealed to you? Yeah. Because God revealed it to you. Yeah. So, so what he's saying is, is that God is the source of all knowledge. He, what he's saying is that that is against worldly wisdom. So when we talk about this, like, so, okay, back to your question, you got this parallel, uh, you got this kind of divide between knowledge, knowing God and wisdom or knowing God and prayer and spending time, spending time with him that we're kind of saying, is that a thing? The problem is that we're approaching it the same way that they are. Mm-hmm. They want to know all things sometimes more than they want to know God. Yeah, They want to know the practical wisdoms. Yeah. They want to know how to exist in their society. They want status. They want all these things more than they want to know God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Paul is saying that knowing God is what matters. In fact, you're only going to know the things that he reveals to you. Right. And and they don't like to hear that as much as we don't. Yeah. So for us, like we we sometimes attribute as I grow in my knowledge of God, therefore my life's going to reflect some sort of fruit. Yeah. And so if our life's not going to reflect the fruit, we don't want the knowledge. And I want to mean fruit, I mean like tangible things like 
You know, I start learning how God wants me to manage my finances. Right. And then now, you know, God's going to be more faithful with my finances. That's the opposite. He's not saying worldly wisdom isn't what matters. Mm -hmm. He's like, what will help you be grounded in this life, what will help you walk faithfully is true knowledge of who God is and what he's done for you, resting in him. And I love too that he concludes this whole thing by telling you that actually the promise is greater than just knowing things. Mm-hmm. The, pro- the promise is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like what we receive from, from God in this unity that we have with Christ is the inheritance that Christ will receive um, as, the, as the son of, of God himself. Mm-hmm. And so as we receive that, that we receive exactly what Christ received and we receive that fullness of God, it, which... Man, that far surpasses everything else that, that yeah. we could ever want or imagine. And, and he's and again, I, I'm not saying like I don't know if playful is the right word, but may you have strength to comprehend. Yeah. So may you understand um, with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, every single measurable. So in a society where you're trying to say that we're going to be able to accomplish and understand things by ourselves, mm-hmm. he says, may you understand the most full version. You know the the maximum version of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And he goes on that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah. So may you be filled with the fullness of God, which the fullness of God, that's a pretty amazing statement. Yeah. And again, all of this, so just to bring in a little bit of the historical approach, um, it, it may be a little early to say Gnosticism has worked its way into the church yeah. when he's writing this, but the whole goal of Gnosticism is to gain the fullness of knowledge, which is called pleroma. That's what it means. It's, it's the fullness of knowledge. Yeah. That's what they're trying to accomplish. And he says, may you gain the fullness, may you be completely filled with the fullness of God. May you have every measurable of that fullness, mm-hmm. um, which comes from experiencing and knowing mm-hmm. the love of God. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, man, what an incredible picture that we need, um, that when we're trying to think through all the little small answers we've got to get in, get in our day, the way that we're supposed to parent, the way, you know, the little things that we're supposed to do, it's like, I'm not saying those things don't matter. Mm-hmm. And like, we shouldn't like seek Christ and be faithful in those things, but may they come out of an overflow of our fullness of knowing and loving God. Um, yeah. to brag on a, a friend, uh, I have a loose friend, um, a guy I used to work with at, um, community church at Greenwood. He actually just re got hired there. Okay. And I was reminded of this this past week. They rehired this guy. Um, he worked there. He then moved away. He was the head of athletes in actions, corporate headquarters. He's back. And I was watching him on the stage. Um, this dude's one of those dudes who just knows scripture, like just an unbelievable amount. Mm. And I forgot about that. I remember being in staff meetings with him and like, we'd be talking about something and he would just quote scripture. And I'd be like, looking like, did you just Google that? Like, but he didn't like, he just (laughs) knew it. Yeah. Um, it, it overflowed out of him. And then I watched him as he was talking about how he feels like God's leading him back to this place. Mm -hmm. And there was so much, um, just really fullness of his understanding of what God was doing. And all of it was driven by scripture. Mm -hmm. That's why this knowledge of God verse kind of this love of God, love of God, or this, just like this kind of actions of God or being faithfulness they go hand in hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. there's a way to do it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could be like, I want to look at the Bible and I really want to understand how to do X. Yeah. And you may not, you know, find God there. <laughs> you know, if you do, if you do, you can read wrong. You know? What I think is so amazing <laughs> about God is that we might go with that motivation. Yeah. And he may totally and he probably still will reveal it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and so I, I, I think there is, while we can do it wrong, it's not a real thing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not what the scriptures tell mm-hmm. us to no, do. Yeah, absolutely. Not. Well, guys, I hate to cut it short. I think there's so much more we could even talk about in this, but um, we're out of time. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for this. Hopefully, this is helpful too. And I think especially just in um, in thinking through what we pray for as well. Um, Paul was praying this for the Ephesians, and I, I feel like this is something that we can begin to pray for for the people that we care about, the people that we love, um, our our, our spouses, our kids, our church. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, these are all promises that God has given us. And all we're doing here is praying back the promise that God has has already given us. And that's a, um, I think that's a joy. It's a joy because we know that God is always faithful to keep his promises. And we know that when we pray those things back to him, that um, that they will certainly be accomplished. And, uh, and that's, and that is a, uh, I don't know, I think there's a comfort and a joy within that. So, well, uh, thanks so much for uh, your time today, guys. And again, if you have any questions today about the podcast or anything we talked about today, reach out to us again. We'd love to talk with you about all this stuff. Have a great week, everyone. And we'll see you next time on the Sunday recap. <laughs>